This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, and welcome back to Realistic Sustainability. I'm Mike, and I'm here with Nick. Good evening, everybody, and good evening, Mike. I am so happy to be here. You sound like you are feeling way better now. Have we hit the 100% mark? Is COVID long gone? No, I'm actually tipping around 90. COVID is not long gone. It's still luring around every corner like gravity, my arch nemesis. <laughs> well, but you seem to be much, much better. Well, my spirits are in far better shape than my body is, sir. Fair enough. And that seems to be the general consensus because we had a big chunk of our family that contracted COVID at the same time. And it seems like a lot of people have some lingering effects. I'm glad that we can still get you on here. I'm happy to be here. It was a it was really kind of freaky and disconcerting for a little while because, you know, a lot of us, even the people that took it seriously, never really paid any mind to COVID. I mean, anyone that's ever known me knows that when I talk about being sick, it's more so just to say that I'm not. I don't get sick. Well, I got sick and uh, it wasn't fun. And another fun thing today, aren't you glad you are not driving out to Duran today to record and that we're doing this over Zoom? Uh, Yeah, <laughs> I am. Funny story today. Xander got volunteered to shovel one of the neighbor's driveways, and I thought that was really cool, and I was really excited he was going to do it. And I got him there just fine, and then I got home. But when I got home, I got stuck in my own driveway. So for the listeners, we we always record these in advance. And today we had about a foot and a half of snow here in Michigan. The way my house sits with the fences next to my driveway, it creates a tunneling effect for wind. And Uh Jamie and I went out there with the good old shovels because I don't like gas powered equipment. And all I have is electric and I do not have a electric snowblower yet. Uh, mainly because I only would really use it two or three times a year. But today is one of those days that you would have really used it. It took us quite a while to clear all the walkways because in the driveway, it was up to two feet. Yeah, there's there's no world where I was shoveling our driveway. Um, <laughs> it's exercise. It's exercise. My driveway is almost three of yours. It and is. I mean, if you, each side plus the loop, it's almost three. It's uh, maybe not exactly, but it's big enough to where I said no. The... The far side by the chicken coop, the snow was at least to my hip. Like, and it wasn't the entire side. It was like the right side of that part of the driveway was in my hip. And then like three feet over on the left side of that side, it was my ankle. Like the drift was insane, (laughs) thus getting the truck stuck. (laughs) Well, and we're not done. I think it's supposed to give us a little more tomorrow, but about a foot more between as a eight and ten inches between eight and ten inches more on Thursday. It's exciting, not really. On top of the fact that every time the wind blows, you got to shovel again, anyways, because we're building those like tunnels now. I my house is right next to that fence. I there's a driveway. You know this, Nick. There's very little mm-hmm. space. There's no yard between my house and my driveway and the fence. So we have the snow piled up to the windows up against the house. But we no longer can do that because when you throw more up there, it just falls back in the driveway. So we have to physically carry it either to the front yard or the backyard to to dump it. So now now trying to clean the driveway is going to take two hours. So today's episode, I want to talk about automation. 
and how automation can affect sustainability. This is a much more complex topic than it sounds, because a lot of times you think automation, you think about efficiencies, it's always a win. But there, there's a lot of depth to how automation works, way more than just the basics. Ab- absolutely. Now, granted, we do about a half hour show. You get, we're getting the basics, but I want to be able to discuss some of this stuff because I think is, I think there's value in it. Because when you first think about automation, the very first thing people think about is manufacturing. Do you agree? Yes, manufacturing, but they think about it in a negative capacity as to where oh, that's where all these jobs are going to go. You know, they're going to fire us and get all these robots. That's where I think people generally believe it. I mean, that's where I've heard conversations go. The moment you bring up something like that's what they where they head. Well, in in that context, that is true. There are a lot of jobs that robots can do better than us. I, as an engineer who has to send recommendations to plants, I've put scanners in in places where there used to be a person looking at things. And mm-hmm. over time, those those efficiencies really do add up for a manufacturer the flip side is is you're right less and less people work those jobs now are they really jobs that are really cut out to enrich the life of a person no but their income is you know they need that income so we have to talk about when you talk about manufacturing we have to talk about first production second some manufacturing things that I know some people aren't thinking about which is 3d printing at commercial scale and you can do it with metals it's called additive printing and then shipping and receiving and storage, okay? So production-wise, I know with automation, it absolutely greatly reduces energy consumption, which is funny, but it does. And it makes things much more efficient, and manu- and the manufacturing waste drops dramatically. I think the best way I could connect automation to everyone's daily lives, I'm going to take a little step before automation per se in terms of uh, manufacturing. But we, we've talked about this before. The, the simplest way people have experienced automation is like walking through a grocery store with motion sensor lights, generally in, in like the coolers and those kinds of sections. It seems silly that that would be what I'd reference. But if you think about those lights, that generally would be turned on all day long and now they're only on when they're needed or as close to the capacity of time that computer is programmed to believe that they're needed because really they don't know for sure if someone is going to stand there for the whole one and a half to two minutes that they're turned on, but it drastically cuts the energy use. And if it's cutting the energy use, then it's cutting the cost. It's cutting the cost and you know, it's better for the business overall. Now, when you get into manufacturing with, um, with the machines and stuff, yeah, a lot of jobs will probably be forfeited to that. And that is a shame because a lot of people do depend on those jobs, but, what I would venture to argue or what I would offer as a, a counterpoint is what as a person, as an individual, could you do with your life if you weren't tied down to a 50 hour week job that, you know, just emotionally drained you and physically exhausted you? What what do you want to do? What could you do to enrich your life? What what could you do to make your life enjoyable, to make your, your life happier, to do something fun with your family and your children? And I say that because it's really easy to be burnt out in one of those jobs because those jobs are soulless and they're mindless. That's the prime reason why the machines are such a natural next step. If nothing else, on top of increasing efficiency, on top of you know lowering the cost overall, it will make the assembly lines far safer because I'm sure that it's very rare, but those like those stamping machines, those are very forgiving when they come down. If someone slips and they lose a hand, they lose a hand. It's I personally believe that is the next best step 
for manufacturing needs to be automated. As automated as possible, some things you may need people to oversee the robots, and you might need um, some you know electronic engineers or computer programmers or analysts to really kind of oversee the software and whatnot. I think it's a great thing, personally for me. There are some fully automated plants, and I don't mean no human in the building, but few. Especially in Asia right now, there's full-blown plants that they don't even turn the lights on. It is pitch black in the building because robots don't need to see it. They're, they're operating on an XYZ axis, doing their job and moving to the next one. They mm-hmm. are simply not, you don't need light. You don't need heat. You don't need anything else. You are simply going to just run your process, get to the end, and then you're done. And it, it reduces, even though you're using electricity for the robot, you are not using electricity for the rest of the plant. That's very true. And with those kinds of plants, with the huge ceilings and the massive light fixtures, not having the light on is going to be a huge savings. Because I know these robots aren't, they're not cheap. They're very expensive. When you factor in how many years that robot's going to be good for with minimum maintenance Mm -hmm. versus the staff, like let's say that robot replaces two employees. If each employee makes $50,000 a year and that robot lasts 10 years, are you telling me that robot's going to cost a million dollars? No, probably not. Chances, yeah, it depends on the robot, depends on what you're doing, depends on the job, but it's almost always cheap. Mm-hmm. And and when you start dropping the facility's energy consumption and cost, they can do things like offset with solar. You take a large facility like that, cover the roof with solar, and you've even offset even more. So your your thirty percent gain because you no longer have lunch rooms and you don't lo- you no longer have places where people are cooking in the factory. You don't you don't have all these other you know bathrooms. You have much less of that kind of stuff because robots don't take lunch. They don't go to the bathroom. Well, you're right. And when you when you say that, that's a very interesting point. I'd like to take credit for it, but you got it out of your mouth before I could. And uh, the water consumption, the electricity consumption, just in just in restrooms alone, is probably immense. If you have a, a factory with 500 people working every day, three shifts. How many how many restrooms? I mean, you think about it, all the. If you each person takes one restroom break per shift. That's a tremendous amount of resources. So that would be drastically good, for, like far better for the envi- environment if they weren't utilizing that. I mean, because you're still going to have power in the building. There's still going to be, there will still be a section of the building where there's going to be an, a, a, some supervisor that oversees, you know, this region of robots or someone that does do the programming or does like maybe monitor the network. Because I'm sure that to, to be on their XYZ access, they're going to have to have a network of programming where someone can log in and say, oh, this one's off or this one's malfunction. They can freeze that robot and go make the adjustments needed. I'm certain that guy is going to have to exist no yeah oh yeah absolutely Um, so there'll be some people there but if you go from 500 individuals down to 50 that's an impressive improvement well and it's it's funny because that is only the first step of changing manufacturing there are some items that are only a couple of pieces okay and it doesn't matter if they're plastics or metal 3d printing can do that now so what, what you end up with is a couple of small places in each region. So instead of having these huge factories with all this massive amount of equipment and paying all these people and doing all these things, they have these small regional centers. And when someone in that region orders a part or a piece or whatever it happens to be, they print it on demand, no warehousing, and they just ship it from the closest one. Well, think about all the plastic pieces in your vehicle. 
even a brand new vehicle. You have things like your door handles, your door pads, you have your dashboard, the knobs on your stereo. Usually your steering wheel is a, a either a vinyl or a plastic cover over a small piece of metal. There's tons of small pieces in, in just in the interior, not including hoses and, and caps and stuff under the hood or the soft brake lines. There's tons of things that can be 3D printed in a vehicle, tons of them mm-hmm. that you don't need to have a factory for. And I will say this at risk of sticking my foot a little deeper in my mouth. When you have it automated and everything is programmed, once it's been figured out to a science and it's automated, your quotas for usable parts, if you are a factory that still does in fact need a quota, your your percentage is going to go from was what, like 70% up to about 99. Very rarely are you ever going to have something that's not usable because it's perfect. It should be. Well, it, it, there's very little variance in, in what you produce. When I was at U of M, I was in a class called life cycle analysis and it was where I learned some of the things we talk about in this show, where we talked about paper versus plastic, the bottles and all these, you know, reusable cups versus plastic and paper cups. Mm -hmm. We had to do our own life cycle analysis. Now I did not know that doing a whole one is something that you, you just can't fully do within a semester. And I made it even worse because Instead of picking one of these other ones that people have done before to be able to use that information, I decided to compare the fuel injectors on the RS-25 rocket boosters Mm -hmm. that NASA uses in their engines from the supplier that they've always used prior and their Mm -hmm. new supplier who used 3D printing additive materials. What I found during that time was the parts could be printed on demand that as long as you mm-hmm. gave them a one-week lead, they could get you that part in the second week. Okay. Where the manufacturer that they ordered the parts from requested a 28-week lead because they had 50 pieces to put together. So what you have was a part that instead of costing $42,000, cost $7,000. Wow. And you, and you got it in a fraction of the time on demand as needed. What's that, like 18% of the previous cost, <laughs> it's, give or take? I mean, that's insane. So, and, and and all they have to do is once that part is designed, and, you know, me as, a, as an engineering nerd and over my shoulder is my 3D printer, once that design is there, you're just hitting a butt. Mm-hmm. So right now as humans, <clears throat> what we do and how we do it is is going to change if we like it or not. It is up to us to guide the direction of how that change works because most of us, me as an engineer, a lot of things I do, I sit and do a lot of math. That stuff can be automated. A computer can Mm. tell me the answers to that stuff much quicker than I can. Absolutely. When I, when I take a look at a part and where it takes me several hours to figure out which millimeter movement is going to make this work in which direction takes a computer a split second. The simulation group could have probably told me that answer long before I even got it loaded. That's probably accurate. So it's not just labor. The Oxford study that was about seven years ago that I I was one that posted it everywhere and caused all kinds of grief, but it was telling us which jobs will not just not simply not exist. We joke about people want too much money, so now they get replaced with a robot. They were getting replaced with a robot if they wanted the money or not. I don't think, okay, so I think that is an unfair assessment. I don't think it's fair to blame the employee for wanting too much money. I think it's every employee's right to to desire a proper wage. Every person should know what they're worth and they should work for what they're worth. 
And a lot of people always complain about the people that want to make more money. Who doesn't want to make more money? But I will say it's a lot cheaper to invest in a robot, an automated process, instead of investing in 15 people and training them for two to three weeks for them to realize they don't want that job anyways, over the course of a year, just for you to find one person who lasts six months. I think... No, uh, sorry to interrupt there, but I want to make one point. It's funny when you say people get upset for those who want to make more money because they don't get upset when the business manager or the CEO get more money. They get mad when the cashier wants they, that someone else will go well that's easy it's always a judgment call they always get judgmental about it everybody wants to do better i agree you have to be willing like if you're if you're going to a business and you're paying for their service you should want their employees to do well if you like going there you should want the employees to be happy because if the employees are happy the business does well if the business does well you can keep going there this is common sense a lot of that is misconceptions and old ideas on how economics works. I I understand that. But to me, I don't even look at it as economics. I just look at it as common sense, kindness, and cruelty. Like I don't get me wrong. Like I don't cherish the idea of someone younger than me earning more and not to say they don't deserve it. It's purely ego. I am well aware of that. And that's something everyone has to work on. But like for me, I want people to in positions where they can earn more, earn as much as they possibly can. I support it. I think it's wonderful. However, on the other side of it, when it comes to business and infrastructure and simplifying it to make it easier to make everyone's lives better, I'm all about automation. I do think it's I think it's the future. I've said it five times now. Well, an automation is going to eliminate factory jobs. A lot of times we're arguing, bring factory jobs back, bring, you know, oh, this company's coming back to the U.S. When they do, they don't bring the jobs with them. Not that many. They tend to automate a lot of their service in a brand new plant. As they replace mm-hmm. plant plants, they do it with automated services. So we have to remember that. One of these times we're going to order a taxi and the car is going to pull up. That's just the car. We've talked about that before, where mm-hmm. Uber, Lyft, all of them are investing a tremendous amount. Google is doing it with Whammo. GM is doing it. Everybody's, te- you know, Tesla, of course, has their automated driving services where when you get out of the vehicle, it will go park itself. And if it can't find a parking spot, it just keeps driving until it can find a parking spot. Yep. So the bottom line, truck drivers, Tesla's creating a semi. They're already on the road. Cola is creating semis that are hydrogen fuel. These vehicles do not have drivers. They go from place to place already on your roads today. If you look at a semi and the windows are tinted because it's illegal to be able to see in the vehicle if there isn't a driver. Now, there's always a passenger and a lot of the times there's a person in the driver's seat. But like in Ann Arbor, they require a person in the driver's seat. Just just in case. They're just not doing anything. Some of those vehicles don't have steering wheels. They do it so another driver doesn't go, holy crap, when they look over there and cause their own accident. <laughs> Which is actually a very good point because that, that could happen. One of my absolute favorite commercials I've ever seen is a car driving down the road and there's a little lady, she's riding in the passenger seat and this car pulls up next to her and she's kind of looking at this young lady. They're just kind of like giggling at each other through the windows and she picks up a steering wheel and all of a sudden she's steering and the other person doesn't even notice it and then she just turns her wheel real sharp and the other car overreacts and goes off the road and that old lady dies laughing. But, and it's a funny joke, but that's exactly the response that would happen if you're driving and you, because when you're driving, you're hyper-focused and you're, you're, if you think about it, it's the most controlled, chaotic situation. We literally take a 
4,000 pound vehicle and we shoot it down the road at 60 miles an hour with these imaginary laws that we have to stay between these two lines with the confidence that everyone else is going to do it too. So when you mess with that and you, and I mean, in your own brain, it completely throws off the whole system. So if you're driving down the interstate at 70 miles an hour and you look up at something that weighs 30,000, 40,000 pounds and you don't see a person, that's terrifying. And that is a horror movie and that will cause an accident. Now, in regards to something else you said, Tesla's Tesla's not building their semis. They already have, well, they're building in production. Their prototypes, is all the, that's all they use to move things from one factory to the other one. Yeah. So yeah. they already utilize their prototypes. Yeah. And the, they get, the, that's a whole other industry of people who have jobs that once that technology becomes affordable, the drivers that we have are not going to do better than the automated systems. I know that everybody says robots are worse, robots are worse, but I've never, you know, a robot does not crash because they dropped their cigarette. A robot doesn't crash, you know, as because they were eating or texting or any of those things. As time goes on, it will get better and better and better. And mind you, before I hand it back over to you, yes, Facebook will find the one. The news will find the one and they will beat it into our skulls, but it isn't the reality. Automated driving is much safer than people. Well, yeah, because what ends up happening is when you're scared of something, when you have a, a fear, you look for any type of recognition of that fear to justify your feelings. So all it takes is one on Facebook and for you to see that fear has been justified and then it continues. But just because you're afraid of something, because, yeah, it's new. And it's freaky, but it's not evil. I personally am very apprehensive about the idea of climbing into a car that has auto drive in today's world. In the future, I know things will be different, but as in today, and clicking it in auto and not touching anything, that scares the bejeebers out of me. I've also never experienced it. I've also never, ever seen it done in person. It's probably extremely exhilarating and cool once you are confident that it's just going to do what it's programmed to do. One of the big problems that we that they have had already with the self-driving cars is self-driving cars don't make a whole lot of mistakes, but the other drivers around them sure do. Yeah, and that's why they have and, to block the windows now because you're right. The rest of the drivers will close in on a self-driving car or they freak out when they see no driver or you got two or three people driving erratically in front of the self-driving car and it doesn't know mm -hmm. where to tag to get behind someone. And, and most of the time they just pull over. They reset and they get back on the road. But you're right that a lot of times a person hits a self-driving car and then the headline is self-driving car crashes. Well, one of the things that I think is ironic about that kind of stuff is that when we were two drivers that we were told to, to drive defensively. But I think somewhere along the line, most people look at that as a good defense, as a great offense, because they drive ridiculous. And I have been deemed a grandfather driver. I'm not a fast driver. Uh, my idea of getting squirrely is tipping over 55 into 56 miles an hour when I'm passing someone. Like I'm not a, <laughs> I'm not a fast driver, and I don't really drive ridiculous. But I, I get to see the kinds of people that do. I, I've been in those situations where light turns green, you're going, and all of a sudden the car that was five car lanes behind or five car you know lengths behind you is now whipping around you and cutting you off a, a number of inches, and you, you freeze. You're just like. Your brain is stuck between, did that just happen? Oh my God, that could have hit me. Thank God I'm fine. You don't know whether to scream, cry, yell, or flip them off. And then, of course, there's the, the horn, which apparently is the band-aid for everything. But people drive around that, and they're going to do it around a Tesla or any other type of car with auto driving. What are they going to do? I mean, I depending on the type of road they're on and how many lanes, they can't exactly just, they can't pull over on the interstate or through the fast lane. 
So there's there's a lot of bugs they have to work out, and a lot of people have to learn how not to drive like morons. But I don't step away and consider the notion of it not being the future and not being what I think everything should move towards. Personally, if everything was automated, let me rephrase it. If anything and everything in life that was not necessary with a like to have a human touch was automated, it would simplify life. It would make it so much easier. I don't think for a moment that things are better because people built them. I don't. When I look at sustainability in, in manufacturing, Automation is a massive win on sustainability. Yes, it is. It's not even remotely close on energy sustainability. Human sustainability, we'll talk about in a little bit because that's we got to make changes if everybody can't do the jobs they've always done. But manufacturing with regional work, smaller factories, or even 3D printing, you no longer have storage. You've reduced the amount of buildings you need. You ship from a closer location. Part of that, remember, get your things regional. That's what this helps do. And it just uses a fraction of the energy it once did. Now, it's different with transportation. Automation is likely at this point, if we are not moved to a fully clean electrical smart grid with microgrid structure if it is the same grid we have today and it's internal combustion engines driving themselves around it will be a tragedy even if it's electric cars on our current grid it will be a tragedy because cars will be cheap none of us will own them we will use them as we see fit you will order them on your phone the car will show up they'll be driving all over the cities empty waiting for commands they will be sitting in parking lots, using up space. They will like the Tesla. Now, if you get out of the car at the movie theater and it drives away and can't find a parking spot, it just keeps driving, keeps driving, keeps driving. It's all electric. But right now you're still pulling from natural gas and coal when you plug it in. There is kind of a problem with automation and vehicles with sustainability. Well, yeah, the infrastructure needs to be completely overhauled. Even if it's a little bit over the course of time, it definitely needs to be upgraded. I would like to see, when it comes to automobiles and, and that kind of stuff, I would prefer a world where automobiles transfer instead of a need into more of a want. Because personally for me, if I didn't need to own a car to go to work every day, if I didn't need to drive my rusted out truck to work or get stuck with my rusted out truck in the snow every day, I wouldn't. If I had, if I had something like, like, like a rent-a-car or something like that, it would show up, do its job, and it would leave. That would free a lot of my time and a lot of my money up. But also... If I did want to own a car, I would own something I actually love, actually like. Whether and, and whether that's internal combustion, something classic and old just because it's gorgeous, or it's something new like a Tesla, I'd be able to enjoy it more. I When I had said a little while ago about like not having jobs where people aren't needed, what I was trying to emphasize is that people should put their time, individuals should pour their heart and their time into things they love, into things that that matter to them. If you're going to spend your life dedicated to something, why not do it to something you care about? Automating soulless jobs gives you that freedom. Yes, it's scary. Yes, it's hard. But just because it's new doesn't mean it can't be reconciled. And it's not like they're going to pull the plug and everyone's going to be unemployed next year. It'll be done small time at a time. It's not going to be, you know, no one's going to just clean slate, wipe everyone out. It really, I, there's a lot of negativity that goes along with it. And as for the electrical grid, it, it has to be overhauled. 
I don't know. I think we should we should expand on solar as much as we can. Like I, I, I watched a podcast or a, a seminar where Elon Musk talks about how he doesn't believe they can get more efficient with solar panels. He thinks that they're as efficient as they're going to get. We just have to find better ways to store the power. We don't have to actually get more efficient. We don't. They work. Now, are they as good as a, how a plant works? No, but they work and they work pretty well. And if mm-hmm. it was integrated, you know, Michigan State has designed a solar panel that were, that is completely transparent. Now you replace all the glass with a solar panel. Now you replace the roof with a solar panel. And if you're in a park, you have a walkway. Solar roads is not necessarily what I would say is the best thing for all roads, but it would be amazing as a basketball court, as a, as a walk, as a bike route, because uh, it melts the snow. Right now, if we had those, they would be clear as clear as could be in our parks. People could walk through. It would all be melted out. There is so many surfaces that could be used as solar, but we can't do it with our current grid. It has to, we have to change the grid. Absolutely. And the grid has, I mean, it does. We talked about the infrastructure has to be upgraded. Personally, for me, I'm always going to be an advocate of solar roads. Um, I got hooked on that video years ago and thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen. <laughs> and I have met I, the owner, by the way, at um, the Maker's Fair in Detroit. Really? Fantastic people. Absolutely fantastic. I didn't, I didn't know that. You didn't tell me that. You're, you're bogarting on the good stuff. You did not. Hey, pictures on my Facebook, man. I can prove it. There's a lot of pictures on your Facebook. Um, I don't doubt it. I'm just sad now. I'm sad I didn't get to go. Well, and I was gonna, I was gonna move to human next, but let's go smart cities because that's part. That's the part that people forget. Inputs are solar, wind, fossil fuels, nuclear. That's the input. Our current grid is exceptionally fragile. We a squirrel can take out not just a region, but large swaths of area, 10, 12 states. Because the way the grid is set up is you blow out this one section and next thing you know you have this cascade of failures. And that is that is catastrophic, especially in a world where there's terrorism and everything else in this in, in, in this world. It is way too easy to shut down like the East Coast, the West Coast, the all of Midwest in one simple act where smart cities and smart grids can't. If you have smaller grid sections and everybody feeds each other and the energy is balanced between regions and when you have too much, you share with the neighboring region and that smart system, that AI system moves this electricity around. You don't need as much storage. And you don't have to have the reason why people need fossil fuels is because sometimes we use more, sometimes we use less, and you got to be able to turn it up and turn it down. Mm-hmm. You don't need that as much as soon as you start creating smart cities and smart towns. One of the scary parts about the way the grid is set up now is that, like you had mentioned, a squirrel. I've never experienced the super squirrel of injustice like that, but I have experienced an ice storm drop the tree down on a power line down the road. I learned that I lived on the very edge of a power grid and my neighbor's house was the other edge of the other power grid. That tree knocked out power to the entire road, the entire block. Well, our block crossed the road, this block, like it knocked hundreds of homes gone. Like, cause it knocked down one power line. It took down the, almost the whole, all of midtown Owasso just gone. And it was, it was out for like five days. Don't get me started on my hatred for consumers energy. But I will say that the fear in this situation, or as I'm going to call it, your squirrel situation, is access to heat in the winter. Now, if your power goes out in the summer, oh, that sucks. You might not have AC. But at the end of the day, 
it's for the average people, it's going to be okay. It's just going to suck. But if it's 30 degrees or colder outside and your heat goes out and you have an old house that's not insulated, what if you have kids? I mean, do you have enough stuff to keep them warm at night? Can you keep your house warm without power? Right. That's scary. And I never knew that kind of fear. We had that same, that same winter, our furnace went out. Like I, that frightens me. The grid is frail. The grid honestly is a fossil. It is. And so in a smart city, electric electricity is balanced. For an example, I buy Alexa equipment. So my washer, my dryer can be run by my Alexa. I can get updates from my Alexa. But really what I bought was a smart device that can be altered if needed. There will be a time I pay different amounts of electricity for different parts of the day because we use more electricity at six o'clock at night than we do four in the morning. Peak hours, prime hours. Yeah, right. And so my washer, what it should do once I have a smart meter and everything is communicating, is I should put things in the washer and say, wash. And it will say, would you like me to start it when the price drops at 11? Absolutely. Because here's the deal. If I'm going to be up anyways and just transfer it to the dryer when I'm done, or a lot of these are washer and dryers now, so you can just, yeah, I'll be unconscious anyways. When I wake up, I'll have clean clothes that are in the dryer. When you go to start the dishwasher, Would you like me to start it when the cheapest? What that does is it pulls the energy balance away from those peak times and from stressing out our grid as much. It spreads it out over larger periods of time. There will always be a person who's like, nope, you're not taking my choices from me. I, on the other hand, will balance this stuff out. It is cheaper. The carrot is enough for me. Plus, I kind of know why we're doing it. There is always going to be that person that is going to stick their foot in the live trap just to prove the point that they're allowed to. Don't be that person. So we've talked about a lot of things, and I know I'm getting us going way too long because this is a topic that I think we're going to break into multiple chunks and revisit. But we got to look at the human side of this. We have to kind of get out of old thinking. A lot of jobs are already moving. You don't even know that when you go onto Facebook, what you're seeing was given to you by a computer, by AI. The choices of what you have to work with were given to you by AI. This is an automated process. When you read a news article, many of them now are written by computers. Less and less human writers are out there because they have an algorithm system that can write an article and draw the emotion from the person because it knows how it works. More and more jobs are evaporating. doesn't matter if you're a lawyer. It doesn't matter if if you're a cashier. Now, knowing this, we have to set aside this feeling that if you are not the hardest worker in the room, you must be the worst person in the room. Life will change. No questions. Now, how do we handle that? There's people out in the world. I think Andrew Yang is a politician who wants to do universal basic income. You've got people like Bernie trying to do other things. Mitt Romney wants to do something else. Each person has their own idea. But it's time that we start looking at them, because if we try to stay to an old system, people are going to have the pitchforks because people are not needed to do these jobs anymore. That's absolutely correct. And I this is part of that fear, part of that that thing that people are scared of. They are not comfortable with things that are new. And that fear, to some degree, is it debilitates progress for them. Because the rest of the world eventually, step by step, is going to move towards that that new door. We're going to open it. We're going to step through. We're going to have a bright future. And I'm 34, which means I'm I'm nearing the halfway point of my life. It's it's something I want very badly. I want to get to a point in life where I don't have to worry about these 
ridiculous notions like, can I drive to work without getting into an accident? Because I trust the way I drive. I don't trust everyone else. I will trust an automated car. I told you I was going to bring it up. I want to go get a burger. <laughs> I want my order perfect. And I want it in two minutes. <laughs> because why not? You know, food service automation is coming, whether we like it or not. It's I'll tell you, the first places you're going to see it, if not fast food, are going to be buffets. Places like Vegas where it's going to be way more efficient to have these these robots and working in casinos and big, you know, concert venues than what it's going to be to hire a ton of kids. What's funny is it's not new. Buns have been slowly moving through warmers and so have pizzas for a long, long time. We've mm-hmm. always found tools to make our job easier. We're just at the point that us as a tool is no longer needed. McDonald's has had an automatic setting on their deep fryers where you hit a button and it lowers the baskets for a set amount of time and raises them back up for their fries. I've had it for years. Everybody's watched their drink machine because it's right there by the <laughs> drive-thru when you pull in yeah. and you see it move through. It's no awesome. If you choosing how much ice. No one's choosing how much soda. Well, and I'm going to, this is my short PSA. Be mindful. Chances are, if you're listening to this show, you have an idea about sustainability and you know some of these things are are coming and you know how it's going to affect the world. Some may not. It is it is different. It is scary. We as people have to ensure that the people making decisions are making their decisions based on our future and not their own financial future. Because that is what's going to keep one generation from getting left out. Because historically what happens is in the middle of change, one generation gets pretty beat up. And I don't personally, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, as you know, but I don't trust the system is looking out for me. It's it's very important that we pay attention. If 60% of jobs disappear, it doesn't matter how much we yell, bring us more jobs. They're going to bring us more automation. You're right. If people weren't relegated to the terrible, soul-sucking jobs that they hate and despise or they only go to because they have got bills to pay, they might find a way to live a better life. I think you'll find that there is amazingly creative people out there. Yes, there are. are trapped in a place where they cannot be as creative as they'd like to be. One of the things that, and the reason why I brought up Yang, because I listen and I watch because I'm interested. I try to stay neutral and I just kind of watch each and every group to see how they're handling it so that I can see which direction I would like to go in. The one thing I did learn about his was, and he's not doing a big, huge thing. He's giving people a thousand dollars a month. That's what he's given them. But what he found was the vast majority of them took risk, not took risk and bought a television. They took risk and started a business. People can be bored for a little while, but what he's finding is they become creative. They come, they, they get to do whatever's in their heart. And in a, in a sustainable world for humans, I think that's where we have to sit. I think a life that's fueled by passion and love for life as a life that will end up being well-lived. And my thought process was if you got $1,000 a month, twelve grand a year, it's not hardly any money, but if you... $12,000 a year, and that pays most of your basic bills, pays your consumers, pays your insurance, pays, you know, whatever. That's a lot of freedom. And it might sound crazy when I say this, but anyone that's that's worked full time and has not made enough to pay their bills, or anyone that has struggled, especially during the holidays, to get the rest of your shopping done, fiscal stress is real stress. I mean, it's real stress. And when you don't earn enough or you're not bringing in enough money, it's almost like you can't be happy. You find little things to, to placate yourself 
and trick yourself into being happy for a moment. I talk a lot about food like that, but at the end of the day, like when you're really stressed out, it's the fastest way to depress you and make your life miserable. And I, and I think that when you have yourself wrapped up so deeply in something you hate so much, you don't have the opportunity to really be happy. So I'm, I'm all for freeing people's time. I really am. Well, and I don't know. I want to say this too, before everybody starts sending me messages, like you're picking a team. I don't know which one works. I don't know if Andrew Yang is right. I don't know if Bernie is right. I don't know if Romney is right or Kasich or whoever that happens to be. But whoever it is that picks the future has to pick a future that doesn't require people to compete with machines because we will not win. We don't, we don't win that unless it's a hugging competition. And I think someone can build one that we can, I think someone will build one we can lose. So we have to have a future that requires us to be us as humans. You'd be hard pressed to out hug me. I'm cuddly. I'm fluffy. And it's almost impossible. I am picking a team. I am picking team human because I want to see the human race go forward. But with regards to what you said, I completely agree. And I don't want anyone to misunderstand anything that I say. Listen, I am not educated. I am a I am a ignorant schmuck who is drinking coffee telling my brother what I think. That's why I say what I think a lot is because I don't know how any of this stuff is going to relate to people's lives. I don't know how close to the truth we are, how, how far off we are. At the end of the day, we're just talking about what we think is best. And when we do come up with things that we think could help other people, we sh- we share the information because, you know, the, the best way to learn and the best way to give someone a new idea is to have a conversation with them. We're not trying to rub anyone the wrong way or to give anyone the wrong idea. If you disagree with anything we say, please, oh, please let us know. You know, I would love to have differing opinions. I want to hear someone else's perspective. I want to hear more than just, oh, they're taking the jobs. If you have a real concrete reason why you're afraid of automation, please contact us. Let us know. I personally would enjoy the dialogue. I think it'd be wonderful. Sorry about the rant, Mike. I just had to get all that out there. (laughs) Well, and that's as an engineer, I know in the long term, there's a 0% chance of stopping automation. Because even if in the United States, we said we will not automate, we will stay with people doing everything. The rest of the world will not. The companies that we have here will not compete and they will either leave or they will close. So there's no chance, zero, that we will not see automation. We can throw, we can get upset, but it isn't going to stop. I always use, for an example, I use stem cell research. We stopped it in the United States for a long period of time. It didn't stop research. It just stopped our research. So when we started back up, we were eight years behind. If we could just unify, even in the most basic concepts, the grid has to come first. We, we will not be a sustainable nation until the grid is functioning in a smart capacity, until it is, in a sense, automated also, and, yes. that, and that its inputs are mostly clean. Yes, I said mostly clean, because there will always be some other inputs that maybe won't be solar. It, you may have some natural gas. You may have some oil because we still have that up and down we have to work on. It's only over the years of just tweaking and fixing things little by little can we whittle that away completely. And so we have to focus on the grid first, the city second, and our future also. Even though there's fear of loss of jobs and all these other things, that's when society has to adapt to those changes And when we don't, that's when people are hurt. If the world is going to change with or without your permission and you don't move, you are left behind. 
So mm-hmm. we have to pay attention to the people making decisions. Are they adapting with the technology? Are they taking care of the people? We'll have to revisit some of these things. Well, I've got my knife and fork ready. I'm ready to chew it up. Well, that's because you wanted. I'm surprised you didn't focus on food more. I'm kind of excited that we were able to get through the list of conversations without too much prodding and pushing. Uh, listen, I had two topics, burger flipping machines and fries. That's all I wanted to touch on. <laughs> well, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And I wanted to take a second also and say thank you all, not only for listening, but the support. We're actually getting people who are logging into Anchor FM, finding our show and donating to us. That is amazing. We greatly appreciate all of your support, going to the website, going to the Facebook group, and that also donating to us. Well, thank you again for listening. I hope you got some value out of this conversation. I know I do every time I talk about automation. I learn something new in every single conversation. If there's any kind of conversation you think we should be having, tell us. Send us messages. Contact us on Facebook. Some of you already do. It's fantastic. I got to see a tortoise. So when they sent me the picture of lightning, the tortoise made my freaking day. So say hi, send us a message. We do love every bit of it. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike. And I'm Nick. We'll see you next week. If you have the desire to be sustainable but are unsure of what can go in the recycling bin or you're constantly forgetting the reusable grocery bags, check out Starting Sustainability, the podcast. Don't be frustrated or confused anymore. Starting Sustainability was created to help those beginning their sustainable journey. Each week, we give ideas on simple concepts you can easily incorporate into your current lifestyle. We also share stories of what works and what doesn't, so you don't have to waste your time and money. Check out Starting Sustainability, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.